0: Well, good morning. It's Good to be with you all and, and uh, appreciate the warm hospitality as I came in today. Um, I am a, an associate pastor at, at Bethany Community Church here in Washington, and I've just come to appreciate Pastor Josh through many meetings I've sat in with him and getting to know him. If you know Josh, you know a passion for the gospel. And so I really appreciate that about, about Josh very much, just his desire to see People who do not have a relationship with Christ come into a relationship uh, with Christ. I really appreciate that about about Him. Um, we've been in Washington for about nine years or so. My family and I have—I have one wife and four kids because the flip side would be way too confusing. Um, so I've just gone with one wife and four kids, um, and we've been uh, married 20 years this last Wednesday, actually, uh, my wife and I. So yeah, thank you, thank you. So we have a. Uh, Four kids and, and two are at the high school here. I have two boys that are at the high school and uh, two daughters. One is at Central School here behind us. And then uh, we have one daughter we adopted from Ethiopia that's homeschooled with, with uh, my wife. So I'm uh, convinced that my wife works harder than I do during the day. Uh, she does school and manages our, our household. Um, so I've been in ministry for almost 20 years as well and did campus ministry for the first part of that. And the second part has been as an associate role um, at Bethany, Bethany Community. Um, but I'm glad to be here with you today to, uh, to talk about God's Word, to preach God's Word. We're going to be looking at Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to, to turn to Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 9. And as you do that, I'll give you a little bit of the background of the book. Maybe uh, you know it already. Maybe it's been some time since you've considered the background of the book, or maybe you don't know the background of the book. But uh, many of you would know that this book was written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, the Colossian church was not founded by Paul. That was founded uh, by a man named Epaphras, who was from Colossae. Uh, Epaphras came to Christ while in Ephesus through Paul's third missionary journey. And he went uh, back home from Ephesus to Colossae and told others about this Jesus. And others came to Christ, and a church was birthed from Epaphras' ministry back home in Colossae. Um, so why did Paul write this letter, not having founded this church himself? Well, after the church was founded, a pastor found himself back in Rome visiting Paul while Paul was in jail for probably get some ministry training. You know, he was young in the Lord and wanted to, to know more about how he could shepherd people and care for people and and shared about some of the church's struggles with Paul. Uh, in particular, the church was struggling with false teachers. Um, and we don't know the exact nature of the false teaching, but we can Derive some things from reading, reading this letter. But Paul, kind of like a spiritual grandfather, saw this, this church in Colossae as his grandchildren in the faith and wrote this letter to send back with Epaphras to Colossae to read to the church, to encourage them in the midst of the struggles with her theology. So Paul wrote other letters that we know as Ephesians and Philemon that he, he sent along with Epaphras uh, with this letter to the Colossians. One study Bible lists the theme of the book of Colossians is this. Christ is Lord over all creation, including the invisible realm. He has secured redemption for his people, enabling them to participate with him in his death, resurrection, and fullness. And I think you'll see that theme uh, as we read Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 9. I'm actually going to read all the way through verse 17. And as you read this, I think you'll see a little bit of a, a structure here to these 17 verses. First, uh, Paul writes of the gospel as he starts writing here in chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4. And then verses 5 through 9 are this idea of putting off the things of the earth that we should put off in light of the gospel. And then in verse 10, Paul visits the gospel again in case that we're getting forgetful. A few verses later, he talks about the gospel again. And then in verse 12, he talks about the things we should put on in light of of the gospel. So uh, let me read Colossians chapter 3. We'll be focusing on 1 through 9, but I'll read all the way through verse 17. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now to the put off, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you have put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. This is the gospel again, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Then the put on. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must so you also must forgive and above all these things put on love which binds together which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god and whatever you do in word or deed Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray for us as we begin in God's word. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this morning. Thank you for your church gathered here at First Baptist, for your church gathered all over the world. As we gather together for the preaching of your word, to sing these songs and hymns and spiritual songs, as we gather for fellowship to encourage and to sharpen and challenge one another, We just invite you to sharpen us today as we look at your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it wasn't long when I was new to campus ministry that uh, I was invited to a prayer meeting of other people who are in campus ministry. And at the time, our oldest son, who's now 16, was, was a newborn. And we got into this, these prayer groups, and, and our group decided instead of just, just praying for the campus, we'd also pray for one another. So what were some personal prayer requests that each of us could share? And so I shared. I'm, I'm a new dad. Uh, my wife and I have no idea what we're doing. And so we need the Lord's help as we endeavor upon uh, being a mom and a dad to this new little boy. And as I said that, uh, an older man was seated next to me, and, and he had been uh, in ministry for many, many years, uh, overseas ministry, actually. and had to kind of come back to the States to do kind of the, the latter part of his life in ministry on the college campus. And he said to me, he said, Ben, he looked me right in the eye. He said, I want you to know it is possible to rear children to love and follow the Lord in this culture today. It was possible to rear children, to love and follow the Lord in this culture today. And as a new scared dad, that was kind of like water washing over me. You know, just that sense of hope that, that gave to me, this man speaking uh, into my life. It, it gave us, my wife and I, some fuel, you could say, um, as I went home and shared that with her, that this was possible. You know, with all the influences around our, our, our battles against our flesh, that this was possible. Our interaction was very brief. We we quickly went into a time of prayer and then dismissed ourselves to go onto the campus. But I believe if I would go back and talk more with this man, um, he would add this, that in the midst of that, obviously, of course, we need the gospel. The gospel is the most meaningful fuel needed to live out our lives as parents or in general just to live out our lives as followers of Jesus. The gospel is not just something for the day of salvation, then we kind of forget about it and live our lives by our own strength. The gospel is for every day, and the gospel is the fuel to live out our walk with the Lord. So Paul writes of this kind of fuel to the Colossian believers. You know, they they were struggling in their theology. Um, Some of the false teaching that was potentially in the Colossian church was this idea that Whatever happens in the physical realm, what happens here on earth, has no bearing on our spiritual lives. So we can go and sin with our physical bodies all we want. It doesn't really affect your fellowship with God. And so Paul writes this about this fuel of the gospel to help remind them that the physical and the spiritual do affect one another. And to give them fuel to live out their lives in this physical realm. He reminds them, encourages them to fuel up with the gospel. Now, if you're like me, I know oftentimes it's very easy to get wrapped up in my own flesh, to get wrapped up in my own sin. It it might be a sin that I go to repeatedly over and over and over again. It might just be a a harshness that I have with my wife or my kids. It it might be a sin that I maybe don't struggle with often, but it, it comes up often enough. And I look around and I see others who maybe are living a life that looks like it's going really well for them. And I think, boy, maybe if I just lived their lifestyle, I'd be okay. Maybe if I lived differently than what the gospel calls me to do, that would be okay. I might feel defeated by that sin. But like that man at that prayer meeting, I want to say to you, First Baptist Church, despite the pressures around us, there is hope for us to put off our earthly desires. Again, whether those are repeated sins that we struggle with or, or just uh, uh, sins that, that maybe you've committed this morning. Uh, I, I'm probably not too far off to say that each of us have been involved in some type of sin in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words. Maybe we we're impatient with someone. we were trying to get to church on time. Um, maybe we we're struggling with the car in front of us as we drove here. Um, each of us struggle with our sin. And despite those struggles, there is hope to put off our desires so we can better bring glory to God. So that leads us to our first point here. It's it's based in verses 1 through 4, and that's gospel-fueled thinking. I think you have a notes sheet there that you're welcome to to take notes. The Bible says, blessed are the note-takers. Maybe Josh has shared that joke before, but the Bible doesn't say that. But the notes are helpful, right, to, to help us to process what God is trying to teach us through through his word. Let's look back at verse 1, uh, verse 1 of, of a Colossians chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So you have this first word. We'll just stop right there. If then you've been raised with Christ. If. Uh, there's kind of this, if then, statement that's brought up here, and, and if then statements you know are, are, prove true at the end. So, if I were to, to stub my toe here at the bottom of the, of the pulpit, my toe would start to hurt, then my toe would start to hurt. It's kind of an absolute, right? Well, this if is such a strong if you could put the word since there. So, look back at, at chapter 3, verse 1 since you have been raised with Christ of course you would seek the things that are above. It's not like a, if you've been raised with Christ, you know, if you have time, you know, if you got some energy, you might want to consider maybe possibly seeking the things that are above. No, it's saying, of course we would. Of course we would seek the things that are above. So if you've been raised, or if you've been co-resurrected with Christ, then Of course, you would seek the things that are above. It's a good and natural response to the gospel. If the gospel is true in your life, then you would seek the things that are above. This idea of seeking is this idea of striving earnestly to seek the things that are above. I'll give you an example. I don't know how many sports fans we have in here, but I have some runners in my family. We're a track and field and cross country family. Well, last spring, we were at the Middle I and I conference meet at Pekin High School, and the hurdles were about to begin. The gun goes off, and these young men tear down the track. Now, I have a high respect for hurdlers. Running is hard enough. Now you're going to put stuff in my way as I run? And that's borderline crazy, right? Right. But these young men are jumping over these hurdles, going after one another, and all of a sudden, this one man, he was in red, I'm not sure if he was Morton or Metamora or Peking, one of those red schools. He hits a hurdle and slams the next hurdle, and bam, flat on the track. The whole crowd, <gasps> was he going to be okay? He push himself, pushes himself up off the track, hops over the next hurdle hops over the next hurdle. We start clapping and he crosses the finish line. What is this young man doing? He was striving earnestly. I am going to finish this race. I'm going to get over these hurdles and I'm going to make it to the end. He was striving earnestly. But so for us, we are to strive earnestly And seek the things that are above. It's not just a casual thing. Oh, I fell. I'm just going to stop here and just walk off the track. No, we pick ourselves back up and we keep striving earnestly to seek the things that are above. But different than that track athlete, we don't have a finish line just right before us today, right? We want to keep going. We want to keep going to seek his perspective, God's eternal priorities, and his view of life. We see Paul rebuffing any potential teaching in the church here that what happens in the physical world is not connected to what is above. Seek the things that are above. While you're in this earthly life, he's connecting the spiritual and the physical worlds here. So it says we're to do that where, where Christ is. That's where he is. He is above, seated at the right hand of God. Remember the gospel here. Christ is what? Seated. What do you do when you sit down? You're done. It's finished. You're done with your work for the day. You're seated. Why is Christ seated? Because the work is done. Church, do you hear that? The work is done. He has found himself on the cross. He purposed himself, I should say, on the cross. And the work is finished. We can find forgiveness. We do not have to be condemned anymore. We are saved. He is seated at the right hand of God. As a response to this work on the cross... We passionately seek this eternal perspective. So if verse 1 is about striving, let's look back at verse 2. It's about concentration in gospel-fueled thinking. So it says, verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So this setting here, it means to to, to think, to have this, this inner concentration this disposition to set my mind on things that are above you know when being a parent uh, our, our children oftentimes let's just say don't often uh, listen to us really well especially at these younger ages you know you're trying to tell them about it's time to get ready for bed and they're kind of looking off yeah I'll, I'll brush my teeth yeah i'll i'll, uh, I'll put on my pajamas sure what would you say you know they they, they kind of have trouble so what we would often do with our kids is we would Say, okay, come here. And we gently put our hands on each cheek. Say, repeat after me. Pajamas, teeth, bed. You got that? Pajamas, teeth, bed. Okay, say it back to me. Okay, good, ready? Now go. And we send them off. Try to get that, that disposition, that concentration there. You know, when I was a kid, I thought, that if I held a compass, you know, with that needle wobbling around, if I, if I could just swirl it around enough, I would get that needle to move off of north. So I'd dance around, I'd twirl around, and I'd I'd look back, and what happened? It'd come back. This compass has this disposition, this setting. Now, there's probably some science-y stuff there, too, that I don't understand, but, but the, the needle would always come back to north, right? It has this Disposition, this concentration—that's the mindset here that Paul is saying to the book of in the in the book of of Colossians. He's saying, "Have that concentration. Set your minds on things that are above." There's a mindset to do this, like Philippians four eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever—if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. Think about these things, it says in Philippians 4.8. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, hey, church, you better start setting your minds. It's not a have to, it's a get to. See the difference there?
1: Oh, I got to start
0: setting my mind. Okay, this guest preacher came to First Baptist. I guess I got to start. Okay, I'll pull myself up with my bootstraps and I'll try to do it. That's not what I'm saying. The gospel fuels us. You know, some would say, you know, don't think too much about your sin. You'll just start feeling bad about yourself. You know what I say? Think about your sin. Think about the ugliness of your sin. You know what you'll see? You'll see a wonderful Savior who had to reach very, very far to save you. And all of a sudden I think, what a great God. It's not that I have to think about these things. It's that I get to think about these, these things. I get to think about whatever is true i get to think about whatever is honorable i get to think about whatever is just i get to think about whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable those excellent things all those things worthy of praise i get to think about because i am saved i'm not shaking my finger at you saying start doing this i'm saying respond to the gospel respond to the gospel we get to do these these things, Romans twelve two says this: um, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The first part in, in verse one of chapter twelve in, in Romans it says: Present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. We think, oh wow, that is going to be a huge thing. I'm not sure. I can, that's a pretty radical request. Me being a living sacrifice for God? And I think all the while, God's saying, yeah, it might be radical, but isn't it reasonable? In light of the gospel's transformation in your life, it's not that you have to be a living sacrifice. It's that you get to be a living sacrifice. What a privilege to respond to the gospel in that way. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Colossian church. Have that inner disposition. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Stay with me in verse 3. Look back at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we are dead to sin, it's saying here. We are dead to sin. Our position in Christ is that sin no longer rules or reigns in us. Sin is not how we identify ourselves. We are safely concealed with Christ in God. We are hidden with Christ in God. There's this sense of security. We have now because we are hidden in Christ. I think of, of the lyrics from the song, From the Day. It says, from the day you saved my soul to the very moment when I come home to heaven. We are secure. The song goes on to say, I'll sing, I'll dance, my heart will overflow. Now, when I was a kid, I was convinced that there were monsters underneath my bed. I was convinced of this. So I see some little ones in here. There are not monsters underneath your bed. Let me just be very clear. There are no monsters underneath your bed. But I thought there were. Okay, I don't know why, but I thought there were. And so I figured out a way to feel secure from those monsters. Uh, I would brush my teeth like a good boy. I would brush my teeth. My parents did the hand thing, you know, pajamas, teeth, bed. Okay, so I did that. And the bathroom was down the hall from my bedroom. Well, prior to going to brush my teeth, I would pull the covers down on my bed and I'd go brush my teeth, and then I would start running from the bathroom to my bedroom. They had to be fast. There were monsters there. I had to be fast, and so I ran, and once I got to the threshold of the door of my bedroom, I jumped from my bed with my left hand, switching off the lights, (laughs) and landed in my bed, grabbed the covers, and pulled them up to my chin. Now, of course, the monsters know the head force field that you can't get to a child, right? There's a force field around the child's head. I'd made that up, but that's what I did, because I, I was secure. You know, I was full, had the covers up to my chin, had the head force field on. Um, I was secure um, from those monsters. Now, that type of security is kind of fun to dream about, to pretend about when you're a kid. But it has nothing in comparison to the security we have for being hidden in Christ. We are secure. The Holy Spirit takes residence inside of the believer. You can't pull the Holy Spirit back out of us. We are saved. We are secure. I remember in college hearing for the first time that you could be sure you're going to heaven. That radically transformed my Christian life. I no longer felt like I had to work my way into heaven. I knew that I was secure in him. Let's look at verse 4 as we continue to fuel our minds with the gospel. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Who is Christ? He is your very life. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus alone for salvation, he is your very life. And when the rapture comes, at the end of days, we will be with him. And we look forward to that day as we think about the gospel. Okay, so what's an application here for gospel-fueled thinking? If he is your life. I, I teach a class on evangelism at my church, and one of the things we talk about is, is um, evangelism kind of gets a bad rap, I think, in the church. Because when we think about evangelism, some, some people have said, boy, evangelism's scary. Oh, that's so scary to talk about Jesus with other people. Boy, you really have to work up boldness and ask God for help it, because it's so scary. I don't think it has to be scary. Is Christ your life? Is he the most important thing about you? You know, as, as we walk here and we have our fellowship time here before the sermon and the singing, the gospel and, and Christ should be so important to us that when we bump into each other, some gospel ooze should flow out onto me, onto you. you know, that's kind of gross, right? But think about that. If, if Christ is our life, that we should just ooze the gospel out to a dying world. Ooze the gospel out to one another, shouldn't we? It should just kind of flow out of us. It's a a supernatural thing that just kind of comes out of us. So when it comes to you at work with your neighbor, is the gospel a scary thing to share? No, it's our very lives. It's easy to talk about in baseball. It should be easy to talk about in the weather because it's our very life. It's who we are. The The gospel has so transformed our lives. That's the thinking we need to have. Evangelism isn't scary. It fuels us. I was listening to a, a podcast recently, and I always kind of wonder, what's the name "Podcast" mean?" And, and I didn't really know what it was. It's a recorded message on the Internet. <laughs> so you've ever heard the word "podcast? Uh, it's a recorded message on the Internet. And I, was, I had downloaded this uh, app called uh, from the Gospel Coalition, and I know uh, I see Pastor Josh quoting the Gospel Coalition oftentimes on Facebook. Uh, a fantastic website thegospelcoalition.com, and they have an app you can download to your phone. You can listen to these recorded messages. And so I was out running one day, and I was listening to this message uh, by Mark Dever, a pastor out on the East Coast. And here's what he said. I'm running as I'm hearing him say this. He says, whenever we recognize the reality that we're not in hell, it's dancing time for Christians. What a great statement. So I I stopped my run. I, I pulled out my phone. And I'm dictating that statement into my phone. And, and uh, you know, I'm not sure my phone's going to catch everything. So so I say it pretty loud. So I say it really loud, whenever we recognize the reality that we're not in hell. And I see a guy 10 feet in front of me. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, okay, maybe I should say the rest of this really quick. So here's the good part of the story, too. You know, it's dancing time for Christians. I want to make sure you heard the full story. We recognize that we're not in hell. That's an incredible thing. Stuart Scott once said, every time I wake up, I thank God I'm not in hell. Because he is our life. He is our life. Christ is your life. And believer in Jesus, I believe you want this. You, you don't desire to leave here with this heavy burden of, okay, I got all these things to do now. But you want to have this gospel-fueled thinking. Now, if you're not yet a believer, you can have this. Uh, We talk about the gospel often at Bethany Community Church in four simple words. God, man, Jesus, response. took it from this uh, book called What is the Gospel? There is a God who is holy and perfect and can't be around sin. And man is full of sin and can't be around God. And that's why Jesus was sent, fully God and fully man, to pay the penalty for sin that we just deserve to pay ourselves but we have to respond. God, man, Jesus, response. We must respond to that gift being offered to us, the call of the gospel, and receive Jesus Christ into our lives as Savior and Lord. So if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, there is a time to do that today, and you can make that decision to respond to God's call. Okay. There are many encouragements in the book, The Cross Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney, to help us remember the gospel. He talks about praying the gospel, studying the gospels, um, memorizing the gospel. Um, I commend that book to you if you're struggling with living out gospel fueled thinking. So when we focus on the gospel, we begin to want life change because it's a response to what God has done in our lives. And we can begin to see. Life change, and that's what leads us to point two. Gospel fueled thinking. Point two is leads to gospel fueled dying. Gospel fueled dying. Let's look back at verse five five through nine. This idea of it leads to gospel fueled dying. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And you see a list here sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, See that you have put off the old self with its practices. Okay, so a commentary I was reading by John MacArthur uh, gives us a good structure for these remaining verses. So look back at verse 5. Verse 5, you see this list of personal sins of desire. 6 and 7, you see reasons to put them to death, to put sin to death. And verses 8 and 9 is another list of sins, these social sins of of speech. Now, this is an exhaustive list of every sin on the planet, but these are sins that Paul is asking us to consider here, to put to death. So let's look at the first list, the the first list in verse 5 there, the personal sins of desire. Paul says to put them to death. Remember, your position in Christ is that you are dead to sin. Christ has paid the penalty for you. Now, your position is you're dead, but in our condition, it's position and condition. In your position, you're dead to sin, but in your condition, you still struggle with sin. I think we all can agree with that, right? We still struggle with sin. So in this condition, Paul is saying, Keep striving to put these things to death. Keep earnestly striving. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above and put these things to death. He mentions the first one, sexual immorality. It's interesting as mentioned first, right? I think it's one of the sins that most often puts Christians out of the walk of faith. It tears away at so many. It's a high priority in Scripture of ridding ourselves of sexual immorality, of fighting off sexual immorality. It lists, then, impurity. Not just the act of morality, but the thoughts and intentions of immorality as well. It goes on to talk about passion and evil desire. The sexual lust acted out or sexual lust in the mind. And then covetousness. This this greediness, this desire for things. Um, It refers to our desires to have more than what we we have. Uh, It becomes idolatry. Uh, It's mentioned in the Ten Commandments, covetousness, right? This greed of wanting. We want something. We can't get it. And so we're mad, we're frustrated, we respond sinfully, not saying, okay, God, you wouldn't let me have this, that's your will, I trust you. We say, God, I want it. I want it anyway. And we worship those things. Okay, so look at this list, this first list here. Look back at your Bible if you have one. Um, Is there a sin there you think, boy, I, I I need God's help with this? It might be in the realm of sexual morality. Now, it might be covetousness. Now, let me ask, I'm gonna venture to say, That no one in here is perfect when it comes to covetousness. all of us would say, I want more. We get some type of physical blessing from God. We're thankful at the time. And then it kind of loses its luster a little bit. And I want more. And we don't trust God that what he has for us is what he wants for us. And we want more. So we can look at one of those things and we say, God... Help me to put that to death. Help me to put that off. Help me to respond to the gospel, to have gospel-fueled thinking that leads the gospel-fueled dying, that I can put off these things. I can die to these things because I have something greater in the gospel. You've heard that old C.S. Lewis quote? We're like children eating mud pies in the slums while God offers us a holiday by the sea. You heard that before? Isn't that so true? We, th- we have these earthly things, or we we have these fleshly desires, and we think, oh, these are great, these are great. We're like children eating mud pies in the slums. Meanwhile, God says, there's so much more for you in delighting in me and reveling in the gospel and the truths in the gospel. So we can put those to death. Now, if we're having trouble putting those to death, what's Paul do here in verse six and seven? He says, let me give you some reasons. I've been working on your gospel fuel thinking. Let me give you some more reasons to put these things to death. Verse 6, look at it. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked, in verse 7, when you were living in them. So this wrath of God, Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. The idea here is that since followers of Jesus have been spared from wrath, right? You remember that. That if this is me here and this is God and this this wrath was being poured down upon me and God, through his grace, sends his son Jesus, inserts himself between me and God's wrath. It says the wrath of God in Romans 1.18 was revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Okay. We've been spared from that wrath. We can experience the joy of knowing God. We can experience full forgiveness if that's the case surely we wouldn't want to still be doing these sinful things right if we've been saved from the things that the wrath of God was supposed to be pouring down was pouring down upon us because of it why would we want to still revel in those things why would we even entertain those things in these things we once walked while we were living in them John MacArthur says this he says you know to some degree how it was to live in sin and you hated it so, you came to Christ to be delivered from that old life. So why would we want to still waller waller in it? I'm we'll going to verse eight. Gospel fuel dying here, but now you must put them all away: anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and, and then lying. Here, uh, this idea of putting them all away is like taking off one's clothes to completely done with them. My my son this summer has worked for an electrician. They had to power wash. The shop, ceiling, walls, floor, everything. He comes home. He looked like a chimney sweep. He was black from head to toe. And you know what we said first thing? Go downstairs, stand by the washing machine, and rid yourself of those clothes. Take them all off. Right? That's what Paul is saying here. Put all these things away. Don't just entertain anger. Okay, I have this gospel of thinking, but I still want. Oh, I'm just an angry person. Just struggle with anger. So that's okay. Because that's, that's how God made me. No. Don't entertain that. Paul says, put them all away. You want to be wrathful towards people? You want to spread malice or slander or, or talk obscenely or lie? Oh, I can entertain those things. You know, I, I just pop off and I yell at people. Paul is saying, no. in light of the gospel, the transformation that God has made in you, of course you'll put these things off. Put them off. Put them all away. Let's look at some of these things that Paul says to put off here. First, we have anger here. The idea is this resolute, deep bitterness. It's like a smoldering fire. It just keeps smoldering. I have this anger. Uh, James 1, 19, 20 says, This anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. So we need to put it off. And then next it says the word wrath. That's different than this smoldering fire type of anger. In the Greek, it's the word thumos. And every time I say the word, I have to say it like that. Thumos. Because I had a seminary professor that said, it's this wrath that just kind of explodes like a volcano. Thumos. And we get wrathful and explode in anger. Paul says, put it away. Then we have malice here. J.B. Lightfoot says of malice, if you're not sure what malice is, maybe not a word we use a lot in today's world. It says it's this vicious nature bent on doing harm to others. Now you say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't hit people. I don't punch people. I don't, I'm good. Let's go on to the next one, Ben. No, it's, it's sensible. I, I, I hope that person doesn't succeed in what they do. I, I, I wish harm upon that person. It can be thoughts, not just physical actions. And here, I think it's in the context of, of speech because we have here slander is the next one listed. Uh, the above three easily lead, anger, wrath, malice lead to slander. Um, this word in the Greek in relation to God is blasphemy as it's used in relation to people. It's, it's slander. Kind of interesting. Then we have obscene talk, abusive speech intended to hurt people. Uh, Matthew 12, 36 says, every careless word, is a word will be held accountable for. Every careless word will be held accountable for. And it goes on and mentions lying here. Satan has been called the father of lies, but he's not my father. He's not the father of those who believe in Jesus. I, I mentioned Mark Dever earlier when I was listening to a podcast by him, and I want to mention something else he said. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I'm not sure if I have it exactly right, but he said this: Nothing of the earth can rule and succeed in your life any more than the crucifixion defeated Christ. So if you're struggling with any of these sins listed here, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, some of those sins of sexual morality or, or covetousness we mentioned earlier, here's what Mark Dever says, that based in the Bible. More importantly, this is what God says, right? None of those things, none of those things can rule and reign in your life any more than we would say, the cross defeated Jesus. He was resurrected, resurrected, wasn't he? He ruled over the cross. And by God's grace and with gospel-fueled thinking, we can rule over these things. There is a need, a great need for us to focus on the gospel and starve ourselves from these things. So we don't want to feed ourselves with these things. Now, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I, I don't want to tell you a list of, here's the things you should not participate in so that you're not feeding yourself with bad things. I think it's a matter of a conscience. I think you, before you and, and your family, before the Lord, can decide what are the best things for you to, to feed yourself with. And, with, But in our, our house, we have this statement. We say, garbage in, garbage out. Bible in, Bible out. We can feed ourselves with so much garbage. I and mean, we Why do I still struggle with these sins? What are you feeding yourself with? Are you feeding yourself with the Bible and feeding yourself with the gospel, understanding the gospel more afresh? Again, are you pondering your sin? Are you thinking about the reality of your sin and how deep Jesus had to reach to save you? It's okay. Ponder it. Embrace it. Think about the reality of your sin and think, what a great Savior. We can't sing about, oh, what a marvelous Savior we have. Let's think about, oh, what a great sinner I am. And we put our two hands up and we say, praise the Lord, glory to God, that he would save a sinner like me. Feed yourself with those things. Bible in, Bible out. Well, I don't know if you came to church today with any weariness in your soul. If you came just kind of "Ah, tired of my flesh. I'm tired of struggling with sin. I'm tired of the effects of sin in my life. I'm tired of the effects of sin of others and how it's affecting me and my family or in my neighborhood and my workplace. Well, take heart today, First Baptist Church. Take heart. Despite the pressures around us, despite our our flesh and its call for us to keep sinning, despite our culture and the way it's pointing us towards enjoying sin, it is possible to put off our earthly desires. It is possible for us to put to death these things as we focus on the gospel. Jared Wilson, when asked about the gospel, said this, the gospel provides freedom from our past, the gospel provides power for the present, and the gospel provides hope for the future. Let me read that again. It provides freedom from the past, it provides power for the present, And it provides hope for the future. So, like the new parent, wide eyed and looking for direction from a seasoned parent, our Savior, who can identify with us in every way, says it's possible to put off these things with the fuel of the gospel. Now, it's my understanding uh, that oftentimes there's a a hymn played at this point, and those who would like to respond to the gospel can come forward and, and do so. And so, I'll be standing here. Uh, at at this first pew, and if anyone would like to come forward and and say, I I need to fuel my mind with the gospel. Maybe it's a fuel for the first time. I've never placed my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Or or maybe you're saying, well, I've struggled with my sin and my flesh, and I need to revisit the gospel in my life. So let's uh, join in singing together. Please stand.